There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome to the Future Profits Podcast, brought to you by Future Profits Consulting, where we help you understand future profit potential and how to maximize. Today, uh, I'm joined by Adam Hooker, as always. Uh, We are going to be talking a little bit further about African swine fever, a follow-up episode to the previous podcast we had with Jason Hooker on. Today, we're going to be focused more on how the markets might react to the, you know, potential African swine fever in the United States and kind of where that would lead all of our ag commodities and just kind of some general thoughts, I guess, we have following up to the previous podcast. So I welcome Adam on and do you have anything to say here to get started? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think as we dive into this episode and and what the potential ramifications are for the African swine fever, if it were to happen, you know, if you're a row crop guy or you're a cattle producer or you're a dependent industry, I think this doesn't just apply to the pork producer today. What we're talking about is it's more of the ripple effects of if something can happen. And, and hopefully we just, you know, challenge the thought processes out there that as we hear in the news or within the ag industry, African swine fever is close and it's a threat that we just understand how large of a threat this could potentially be. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I've got it down here. Um, we're going to kind of start um, in the hog market because we think that'll be, you know, maybe the the larger impact, the quicker impact here, you know, as soon as if, if it was to come to the U.S., you know, that reaction would be um, pretty immediate um, on the hog market side. But then also, you know, we're going to touch on the, the cattle market um, and then some other, you know, the protein sector, some poultry, some dairy, um, some of that. And then I think we move into the, the grain side and kind of talk corn beans, meal, and then kind of finishing up with a conversation just on, you know, the economy as a whole um, in Iowa and then also the ag economy, you know, outside of Iowa and the whole U.S. And then just want to start by saying, you know, a lot of the numbers we might reference in here, um, we're referencing an article that we we got sent to us. Um, It's called National and Iowa Impacts of African Swine Fever in the United States. And it was a study done by Iowa State University. Um, I think it was funded by the National Pork Board as well. Um, just did, you know, they had a model, um, did some research and, and kind of played with some of the numbers. And if we have, you know, swine fever in the U.S. for X amount of years, how does that impact price with, with some of the, you know, production and demand changes that would happen because of that? And that was uh, Dr. Dermot Hayes, I believe, right? And I think you can find that on the ISU webpage somewhere. Yep. I think you can just Google it too. If you Google, you know, national and Iowa impacts of African swine fever in the United States, that's just the the title of that study or the, you know, the publication that they put out um, with it, with all the results kind of talking through it. Yeah. And keep in mind, it's all theoretical. And so it's just based on some assumptions of what they think might happen. But I think what, what our goal today is, is as we're talking through just practically and logically, when you think about what would happen who knows what kind of percent impact it's going to have on prices here or there, but you can certainly imagine the impacts that would happen if we have reduction in swine numbers or, or whatever it might be. So 
I don't want to get ahead of your question asking, so I'm going to I'll flip it back to you now and we'll kind of roll. No, you're good. Uh, just kind of start by jumping into the hog market then. I think, you know, the the first thing is why do we see the, the price react? Um, why, you know, what goes on? And I think really kind of want to point back to our previous episode um, with Jason there where we kind of talked about, you know, the immediate uh, freeze on hog movements, um, you know, the immediate loss of exports uh, where we talked about in that episode, you know, we lose 30% of our export market right away. Um, so you can just see the immediate, you know, nobody's going to be buying cash, cash pigs. Nobody's going to be. Right. So what we're talking about is supply side, right? The the supply side starts to build very, very quickly as we lose that demand of exports. And that's like Jason alluded to last episode, foreign animal disease kicks us off of that list for being eligible exporters. And that that is problematic when you're exporting 30% of your product. Yeah, and then something else that Jason talked about was, you know, that's why we kind of want to be careful to make sure we call it African swine fever and and mention it out loud um, because, you know, I think as I think about it, you know, we go back to um, swine flu back in 2009 and kind of the media coverage of that drove down the demand for pork. Um, and I do think, is that a real threat here um, as if African swine fever becomes a big news story, you know, and NBC, the nightly news is covering it. Do people get scared? And even though it doesn't have any impact on the the meat, you know, do we see some people that are just watching the news, um, you know, go away from pork and think they can't eat it? I think you do. Even if we do a great job of framing the conversation and using the right verbiage, I still think you're going to get some people that are going to pull back because they just don't know. Not because they're scared, just because something's bad happening in the industry. And so just pull back, don't eat pork for the, uh, for a period of time anyway. And that probably adds a little more price pressure than just the exports going away because now you've got a a slight reduction in the domestic demand on top of it, which is going to have to try and absorb all of that extra production. So I definitely think the reality is we, we, it sounds great to say, Oh, if we, if we frame it right every time, no one's going to be concerned, but I don't think that probably is a hundred percent effective. So short term, you also end up with, domestic demand that's also injured by the potential if it happened. I would agree. I think, you know, in the industry, we can do our best to continually emphasize that it, that it doesn't affect meat quality and try to get it out there. But there's how many people in this country that aren't going to listen to what, what we have to say um, in the ag industry. So and it's not just us. It's going to be a lot of people, Yeah, but all it takes is one news story to get it wrong or whatever media outlet to to portray it incorrectly or somebody asked the question, you know, even throw it out there like, Oh, does this affect people? And then you've got a ripple effect that you gotta, you just got to give it time to smooth out. Yep. So then with the, you know, the markets on that, I think of, you know, the, the freeze on movements and, and pigs not being killed, um, you know, at, at the plants for a period of time and what that's going to do to our, our supply side there. And just an immediate, you just think, of how, you know, we talked a couple episodes ago about the number of, of contracts on the, the hog side that are using the cash price and are affected by that. And it's a very large, you know, cash is going to go to, I don't want to say zero, but, you know, it's well, who's going to who's gonna be there to support it? I don't know. Right. If we learned anything in COVID, it's that it can go really, really low, right? Yep. I think we had cash in the single digits there. Some weekend kills happening at packing plants to just try and keep things cleaned up. So when we lose the ability to kill, the number of fat hogs out in the countryside starts to grow. That's a problem because our product is not like corn where we can just let it set a little longer and harvest it later. It keeps on growing and we've got animals coming behind that need a place to go. 
So that backlog of large animals drove our price down substantially during COVID. Now, when you're not killing pigs, there's less pork available. And so conversely, we saw a big spike in the meat price temporarily it came down, but then it rallied back nicely. And I think we're still probably riding that wave from a meat price standpoint. Because our cold storage is still so low. We Correct. haven't recovered on that we side. Have, we have cold storage. So we've got some backup supplies that are frozen that we, we used when we weren't killing pigs to keep all of our customers satisfied and, you know, hasn't been restored completely. But COVID, I'm going to say, was relatively short-lived to the potential of African swine fever. We just needed to get workers back. We needed to get the lines running again, and then we could get our pig flow moving again. Well, depending on what happens with African swine fever and where it's at and what happens, if it's a wild boar deal, we're probably still going to kill pigs. We're just going to have a bunch of them. If it is a domestic herd issue, like Jason talked about last episode, Boy, a lot of stuff goes into that, right? Freezing movements. Pigs aren't going to get killed. They're going to start backing up. Going to be difficult. One thing that I think, you know, a little different, you said, you know, we had the cutout spike um, during COVID, you know, afterwards. We also had all of our exports. Correct. Right, at that time. So, you know, a little different here is when you get African swine fever, you don't have that export market. So we lose that cash. We also don't have the rest of the world to keep our, our meat demand up. And so that's kind of where you're going to see the cash price lower. The, you know, cutout price is not going to be at those Correct. values. And I think what Dermot Hayes says in there, we think those meat values are going to come under pressure for that reason. You know, we got that COVID spike for exactly like you said, because we still had exports and we still had domestic demand. We just had less product. Well, now we're going to take exports away and we're likely going to do some domestic demand. That, that uh, the report into kind of what we think is problematic for prices, that we're looking at some pretty low prices and probably for an extended period of time until we sort some things out. And we likely sort out our domestic demand quicker than we sort out our exports. When I think Jason talked a little about that on our last episode that you can go listen to. Just the export world is very finicky. And it's going to be difficult to regain all of those back if it's lost. Yeah. And just thinking about the, you know, the study that we're, we're referencing here, um, he, they kind of did a two, two different scenarios. They said, you know, what if we get African swine fever and we get it under control quick and it's just a two year scenario, you know, where we're kind of affected, um, you know, we get it, get rid of it in a short period of time. And then they also looked at it from, a, you know, they said an all-year scenario. Um, basically, they're going out 10 years into the future saying we didn't really get um, African swine fever under control in that time frame. And just looking at the impacts, you know, that would have. Um, so coming back to the, you know, in both the scenarios, right, you get African swine fever in the U.S. The, the model that they have, you know, spits out a 47% drop um, in price year one. And that's referencing, you know, the cash and cutout, like we're talking about, um, dropping significantly, um, leading to that decrease on the futures price there. And then, you know, eventually, you know, when you think about it, the price is eventually going to stabilize, um, over time, right? Because we're going to, if it's the 10 year scenario where we can't get ASF under control, price is going to, going to stabilize because we're going to lose producers. We're eventually not going to produce as much pork. Yeah. Cause at the, at the price levels that we likely stabilize at, Profitability is going to be non-existent. And so you're going to see some people forced to leave the industry as a result, which contraction in the supply. Now we're going to shrink that supply to hopefully come to that equilibrium of less supply starting to drive that price back higher, even if it's only 
domestic demand that we're trying to, to fulfill, I think you'll you'll see that happen. Yeah, and whether the, the exports come back or not, I don't know. That's such a dicey it's it's a dicey deal that I don't I don't know that I fully understand, but I know it's complicated. Yeah, and same with the you know the two year scenario. Maybe you you're not going to lose as much um, pork production. I think you know in the short term you you might lose a few producers. I'd say that were that were maybe on the the fringe um, right now. If we see a fifty percent drop in our our pork prices, we're going to maybe produce you know reduce production a little bit. But it's going to be that demand side that we've got to work to get back um, in the short term. And that'll eventually, you know, in the two-year scenario, we get ASF under control. We start rebuilding those relationships overseas, and, and we do get the export demand back. That's how our price will recover in the shorter scenario. Yeah, I think uh, I might differ with you a little bit there because I think you're going to see supply has to adjust very quickly. If we lose exports, we can't keep on putting the number of pigs on feed that we've got now when we're when 30% of them are going to continue to pile up here. So in a very short period of time, supplies get robust, cold storage fills up. And all right, now we've got to stop placing as many pigs as we are because we just that demand exports are going to take a little time and so that supply's got to adjust quickly. And that that's where it's going to be putting a lot of pressure on the producer. And it'll do that with price, and I think the industry will do it with lack of kill. You know, packers start to cut back on where they're running now because they're set up to kill with these exports. And without it, shoot, we just don't need the meat. So they're going to start pumping the brakes, which is going to start stacking things up behind it very, very quickly. And so the supply side is going to have to react pretty darn quickly, I think. Yeah, so I think, you know, I was kind of referencing the study there. It's saying, you know, within two years, we kind of get back on track we're maybe slightly below um you know the production baseline that we were running at before and, and prices get back in two years but you think maybe you know that production it, it might not quite get back up to the baseline from where we were before yeah i think it's going to be forced to change and then once you once you've changed it once you've either eliminated sows or whatever now you're looking at it takes a couple of years to get that back so once you've sold a sow and now you're going to maybe put a guilt back in its place or whatever it's it takes some time for that animal to give us the market hog that we're going to put back on for domestic consumption. So I don't know. I think that this is all speculation, but the bottom line is if we look at what happened in COVID back in pigs up in our industry is very difficult to deal with when we can't get them all killed. That's difficult. Well, as long as we can kill them, which would be like a non wild boar population type infection. So if, if it's a wild boar, Hey, we're going to be, we're going to be killing our production pigs. No problem. If it's in production problem, we've got it in finishers or sow farms. Now we're backing stuff up. Animals out in our barns are getting backed up as opposed to we're just backing up meat. We're killing normally. We're backing up meat because it's not moving. There are two different effects, I think. Yeah, you know, I think Jason said something about, you know, it's at least a 72-hour freeze. And I guess the region of contamination as far as, you know, if you have to euthanize or how exactly you have to go about that varies right it could be a week-long freeze until they figure out where it is it could be a 20 mile radius that maybe has to be contained in some capacity and not just a two mile radius i think there's a ton of variables that nobody can can predict or or come up with there and so some of that stuff could change it as well you know we lose the the export demand right away but how much of our supply 
is going to be lost. I don't, I don't know. You know, nobody knows. And if he, if they, you know, the, whoever the head is comes in and says, it's got to be everybody within this 50 mile radius there. It could be in the wrong County in the wrong state. And it could be a lot of pigs that can't be sold. If, if you knew for certain you were going to get African swine fever, you would want it in the wild boar population and not the domestic hog herd because we can keep, we can keep those movements going. Mm -hmm. It's really, really difficult to, kind of deal with the aging livestock inventory when your production wheel is still spinning. So that, that for producers is going to be more difficult to deal with. And if we can, if we can take our animals to the, to the packer, we're getting less for them, but at least we can, our normal cycle of production is continuing on compared to if we're shut down in that, you know, 72 hour to whatever it is, it might be more than that. We found out, right. It could, like you said, it could be longer keeping pigs, in the barns for a long period of time is difficult. And it's even harder to dispose of those animals. If that's what it has, if that's what has to be on farm compared to taking them to a packing plant. So how much do you see the, the, I'm going to say price reaction change or differing if it's a, a wild boar population that we've detected in versus a, you know, commercial herd. I think it's the same. You think same price. I think it's the same initially. If, if it's in the domestic herd, there's going to be some liquidation because animals are going to be quarantined. They're going to be killed. Mm-hmm. And so that will take some supply away because it's just not going to be able yep. to move. It won't get put into the food chain portion of it. The wild boar, I think we continue to move pigs through the cycle like we're talking about. The wild boar, everybody is able to keep producing and nobody personally has to change up a ton yeah, of right. what they've got going on versus if it lands in your county or they don't, they don't have to do it in their barn with a market hog. Mm-hmm. They've got to do it somewhere through their production system to probably cut back numbers. Yeah. But at least we don't have to take care of the problem in our barns. And that's a, that's a huge, there's a huge difference between versus if we get it, you know, somebody gets it, that's a immediate impact right there. Absolutely. And have to, that, has that, to be addressed. That ground zero event in a barn is going to suck. If that's, if that's the way it happened, that would suck. So I don't know. Um, that's a scientific term too. suck is. Yeah. Is yeah. No doubt. No good. <laughs> and then, you know, thinking about, you know, before we move on to maybe the cattle side, you know, I just wanted you to maybe talk about the hog market effect. You know, how does that impact economies and businesses that are super reliant on the hog industry? You know, we talk, we're, we're here in Iowa. There's there's several counties that you can think of off the top of your head that 75% of their economy is based off the hog industry um, being successful. Um, so just kind of initial thoughts to how some some people you know might respond in, in that case if it affects their economy. Yeah, the, the hard part about uh, African swine fever is that I believe it will reduce our industry size in some capacity because the the tail's just going to be too long. There's going to be people that are forced to react. And so when we start talking dependent industry or allied industry, those folks whose businesses rely on providing services or goods to the hog, you know, to the hog industry are drastically affected. So if we're downsizing in this country because we've lost 30% of our exports and we don't know when it's going to come back, and your primary business is building hog buildings, there's probably not much of that going on almost zero, right? Because you, we're, we're in crisis mode. We're trying to right size a shrinking operation. The last thing it needs is new barns and likely you're looking at some poor prices, which don't have you doing much updating of existing barns. And so that, that industry comes to a screeching halt. 
in my opinion. There's just nothing to do, which is not good. And so from the, the new buildings, that's gating companies, that's feeder companies, that's, you know, bulk bins, anything that goes inside of that building is now affected. Concrete companies that spend their whole year pouring, you know, foundations for these things. Uh, feed companies, everybody's got their business of, you know, how many pigs you're feeding. Well, if, if all of a sudden that shrinks back, now their customer base is shrinking. And as our pigs are shrinking, they're eating less feed because we've got less of them. Well, now this ripple effect goes to local elevator that buys corn for feed for these pigs. And what's that going to do to our corn price? I think you're going to get to corn, so I'll kind of skip past that one. But, you know, we've, we've got just the general labor, which depending on where you're at, some of those counties that are definitely their economic engine is livestock. What are your general laborers going to do if, if they've got three barns that are sitting empty because we've had to downsize? I mean, it, that ripple effect, it's just multiple ripples. And it's a big deal for the ag, I think the ag economy, not just the ag economy, but small town economy. Because yep. all, all of this commerce that ex, that's exchanging hands between the pork producer, he's, a, he's absorbing all of that cost in the pig. In buying feed and paying for rent on buildings and building buildings and power washing buildings and paying people to take care of pigs. If that's disrupted in a major way, all the downstream is also impacted. So it's it's pretty significant. You know, I think I just looked at your list. We've got truckers on there. Again, this whole industry is built around people and consistency and, and knowing that there's animals to move. And if, if that changes now, we've got, you know, guys whose careers are hauling hogs that are doing less of it. Can they, can they sustain at a smaller volume? Somebody's going to haul whatever's left, but we probably don't need everybody that we currently got today. Temporarily. Now, yep, every, yep. everything eventually we say is going to reset. We'll, we'll get our industry back once exports come around. But we don't know that timeline. It's the same with any black swan event in any industry. You know, you kind of think of COVID. We're, we're sitting here talking about a big, crazy event with African swine fever, and we've got something to reference, you know, just a year and a half ago or when, when that started. And you look at it didn't, I don't know, when, when we were first hearing, you know, ripple effects of, Oh, you know, the coronavirus might be in the United States and you don't really think of how big of an impact something like that would have on, on whatever. We're just hanging out here in small town, Iowa. It's like, oh, well, that's not really going to affect us. But then as you start seeing it and, and certain industries just can't operate or, you know, we're forced to not operate for a little bit, that trickle down effect to so many um, different industries, you know, and the, the effect that it had on economies as a whole, which was and still having yep. like our, our supply side disruption just from an economic standpoint from COVID. Yep. You know, I, I think you see similar type problems that just can, they continue to come up and just go, Oh man, we didn't see that was going to, yep. how could African swine fever lead to this problem? Well, just chase it backwards and eventually you'll see. Yep. You know, and that's kind of the same, happened. same thing. You know, there might, there's things that you can't even probably fathom that could be affected. It might be or, or whatever. And we'd be talking about it after after the fact if it if it were to happen so and so if you're a cattle producer the next bullet point we got here is the cattle market you know if you're a cattle guy and you're going hey african swine fever is a big problem that's not my problem that's probably a short-sighted view when we understand what's going to happen with the amount of protein that's going to get consumed in this country and how do you make that protein go away you make it cheap enough that it becomes very very attractive and pork is always typically chip, cheaper than beef, but it would be substantially cheaper than beef, which we got to believe only puts pressure on beef prices and moving it lower as well. 
Yeah, I looked up a study earlier today as we were kind of thinking about this, and and I can't remember. I think it was eighty-seven percent of people said like you know that the number one impact in consumer choices is price. Like price drives you know decision making, and so you know you can you know the some people say you know beef tastes better, um, and that's why people that's why there's demand for it, and that price is a little uh, more expensive. But you get to a point where people aren't willing to pay for taste, you know, like whatever that difference might be. And so that's where the beef industry has to respond by getting a cheaper product out there. Um, yeah, so that demand stays there. If you can get 10 pounds of pork to one pound of beef, you think that's going to probably sway some people and, yep. and, and increase the consumption that's going on there, which how does beef keep its product moving then? If we start seeing pork prices that are extremely cheap, those prices got to, they got to come down to try and keep that product moving as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, on the beef side, it talks about, you know, it's a smaller drop of like 5% in year one. So, so not a drastic thing because I think they talk about as that price comes down, it becomes cheaper to the rest of the world. And we don't enter this scenario, right? They're saying we aren't going to lose exports on the beef side. So cheaper beef to the rest of the world. Maybe We're gain able some to keep exports our, if we get cheap enough, potentially, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You gain exports on the beef yep. side as it gets cheaper. Um, I guess that, that kind of leads to a thought. Do you, would you see, you know, the, okay, they cut off exports on the pork side because you've got African swine fever. Do you think, I know Jason talked, you know, a little bit about like the political side of everything. And do you think it could have an effect on exports for other meats? If countries, I don't know how the export market works, I guess, if they're buying. I don't pork. know either, but I, I, you would hope not, but who knows how these countries react? I mean, it, it is a swine specific disease. Yep. So if, if there's no criteria to exclude beef, I would imagine that beef is going to continue to move. But I think you probably see a bigger drop in beef prices than what maybe they're thinking just because of the magnitude that I feel like hog prices could drop. And even though you're going to keep some exports, it's going to impact the, the whole the bulk of our, the bulk of our consumption for pork and beef is still domestic. And yep. so that part has got to keep up with where 70% or I don't know what we're exporting on the beef side of things, but in pork, that's 70% of our product is consumed domestically. That's huge. You just think about your commodities chart that we look at daily. Um, there's, you know, everything kind of works together in, in some capacity, um, especially on, you know, livestock side. There's sometimes you hear people reference, well, I think the hog market's being supported by the, these cattle prices or something like that. And so you don't know that you'd see 10 days in a row of, of lower hog prices and cattle are able to just kind of tread yeah. water and hold where they're at. Right. You know, There's you always that correlation that you look at and you go, yeah, they're always kind of around here. But insert black swan event. Now we don't know. We don't have a bunch of history of how those cor- you know, how these things are going to correlate and pan out. And so if, if there's a major event, all bets are off about what should happen or what's happened in the past or where those prices typically kind of balance out at. I think it's, I don't think we know. Hopefully we never figure it out, but it's it, it would be wild. Yeah, and you think COVID affected, you know, all the industries. Um, everybody had, you know, packing plant issues, you know, on beef and pork side. And so in this case, it would just be pork specific. But I'm just thinking, you know, the, the cattle reaction on, on COVID was very similar. Um, you know, the price for the, for the animal decreased. We had the same cutout spike on the same side. So, you know, to think that the reactions wouldn't be similar at all, I think is, is a little naive maybe. Yeah, I, I agree. And then I think with that, you know, it talks in the study about beef production is not going to deviate much because they're not estimating a big drop in price. I think if the price drop is larger than maybe what the estimate was, 
you could see some effect on that beef production at that point. But in, in the study, it just talks about it not um, deviating much uh, just because of that. Yep, makes sense. And then I guess maybe we already talked about it, but I had a question. Uh, do you see a scenario where the beef market rallies because maybe we have more beef man domestically? Kind of referencing earlier, people go away from pork with the the media coverage. Do you think people will turn to beef a little more? Yeah, I, I do. I I made a note here that I think the perception, if there's some kind of human effect with African swine fever, the country's not going to quit eating meat. They're just going to change which meat they're eating. And I think you could see, you know, beef gets a little bump from that, potentially depending on how that comes across, if it were to happen. But I still think the price comes down because pork would end up falling so far, so fast. that it's just going to, you're not going to see beef prices go 4% drop if you drop pork prices 50%. There's going to be more effect. Their demand could continue to be good and it could be record, but it's going to be at lower prices. As, as yeah. Yeah, and we don't know how the consumer is going to respond. You know, it's yeah. all hypothetical as far as what what people's purchasing decisions are going to be in this case. So it's hard to really guesstimate too much, I guess, on that. Yeah, the the other protein options are poultry, right? You got chicken and turkey, you got beef, and then I suppose you've got your fake meat crap. So I don't think it can support the kind of demand shift that's going to happen, so it'll be absorbed by the other two. Yeah, you know, all of your poultry, dairy, eggs, um, protein type stuff. It's, it's real, you know, that we don't have a, I mean, we do on the dairy side, we don't have a, a market to kind of look at on poultry, I guess, um, a futures market I'm saying there, Correct. Um, but all of them would, you would think would have to compete by seeing a drop in price just yeah, to compete for that shelf space. I think your poultry is similar to beef. You know, it'll, it could get some demand bump because of the, some consumers walking away from pork, but ultimately poultry's typically cheaper than pork or, or very fairly valued there. And if, if pork starts to drop, I think poultry is going to go right along with it. Yeah, I guess I, I think out loud, I think of eggs, I guess, you know, on a protein side, they're already pretty cheap. Do you think, you know, and, and if people are turning more towards eggs or something like yeah, that for a protein, would they, egg would side, they, I don't, I don't know so okay. much. I think more on the, just the meat, the meat side of the yeah. poultry. Yeah. And say, would they even have to react at all? And instead they just, keep their margin the same because people are turning to them. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I I hadn't thought about eggs, but I don't think eggs would be as affected, I wouldn't think, yeah, as maybe the meat price along with poultry. So I guess that's kind of the the meats. What I didn't get your opinion on the impossible beef or fake meat. What any opinion on on how the price should react over there? Yeah. Well, that's maybe we'll move on. Maybe I, we'll I move on. I did see just the other day that their earnings were terrible for third quarter. So I don't think they've got the supply to step in and gain much market share if yep. this happens. I think we're looking at prices adjusting on our three primary proteins, the poultry, pork, and beef, to make it disappear, and it's just really low prices. I don't think you're going to see a huge flea from I like my red meat to I all of a sudden love my Impossible Burger and my, my fake steak at the store. Also, you know, kind of thinking about that, the big advantage that the real meat you know, has is price. Right now, in order to make the impossible and, and whatever else, it's expensive. So if we see a price drop in pork, yeah, and it's real. And it's real. And, and, and so if you do see a, a price drop in our real meats, like, I guess I don't really see a scenario where at that time people would switch. Well, to a yeah, fake if you're going to switch, you're going to go pay a premium for. And it, a, the premium becomes larger. An alternative protein that you maybe don't want anyway. So if you, you know, if we get past the perception of 
is this pork a problem? If you like pork, it's just going to be cheap. Yeah. I think you're going to eat Good more deal. of it. I think you're going to eat more of it. So I, do, I, I just, I, I hope not that we don't see that fake meat start to gain market share as a result of something happening. Yeah, we just have to be really diligent in the the marketing and the public perception type okay. of and, situation. And don't be fooled. They're going to try and use it as yeah. a tool to gain market share, right? Sure. So if they can spin that narrative as to where it's bad for you to gain market share, they will. So then kind of switching over to the feed side of it, I guess before, what's your what you, would be your initial thoughts on corn reaction to an, an African swine fever event in the U.S.? I think it's negative. It's negative for corn. I think it's negative for everything we've talked about so far. Now the the corn thing could maybe be more of a slow burn because you've got all these animals on feed that we're going to have to continue to feed unless we've got to quarantine and, and dispose of them. But again, as we look at this industry, depending on how long it takes to get exports back, if we've got a right size at less than 30%, that's a substantial drop in the amount of corn that you're going to need to feed livestock. And if it happened to pressure beef prices and they drop by four or 5% of their inventories, that's a lot less corn. So all of a sudden our balance sheet starts to get pretty heavy on the supply side of corn. Again, going to, going to only put price pressure on it. Yeah. That's, you know, the thought is lower domestic demand. I think, you know, no doubt can agree across the board there. At what point do you think, you know, we've got lower domestic demand, our price drips a little bit here on, on corn in the U S how does that affect the export market there? You know, I think kind of the same thing on beef. If it gets cheaper, more people around the world step in and buy our corn and, and kind of support it. I know we're at high values right now compared to, you know, where we've been in 10 years. So maybe it's, you know, maybe we've got a ways to go before people are like, oh, let's go buy all the corn from the U.S. Um, as that price is lower. Uh, certainly, I think you'll run into some support from the export market because as we become cheap, you know, the world looks at cheap and they typically buy it. So, you know, how cheap are we and how does it compare to what's the alternative? What's South American prices? You know, what's the, what's coming out of uh, the Russia area over there where there's a lot of production. I, I don't have any clue as to what price levels those are, but there will be a point again that it brings in support because you just get too cheap that there's nothing wrong with our corn. Why wouldn't the rest of the world feed it yeah. if it's cheap? So that then we become a market and they get some support. Have you seen anything recently on south american prices and russian prices to know you know kind of where are, are they right around ours you know they all kind of come to an equilibrium and, and they're elevated as well at this time yeah as our price of corn has come down since the summertime i think we're the south american crop is pricing in fairly well and so we've seen some exports start to decrease in this country and start to shift to the southern hemisphere i don't know i don't know what that tipping point is to where it shifts back our way yep yeah and I, just thinking of the the all year scenario where if we did get ASF and we don't get it under control um, for a period of time and we do lose that production in the U.S., that's kind of where you're seeing that bleed over time on the corn side. Is that correct? Yeah, and with corn, we can dispose of it domestically very quickly in, in livestock feed, right? So we can make corn disappear in a hurry because every day these animals are eating. If we cut into that, and now you got to start hauling corn to terminals and put it on barges and get it out of here via export. That's a different beast in and of itself. Do we have enough barges to take on that much more exports? And that's in, a problem right now. In our right current now. environment, yep. it's a problem. So you, you would think that if, if something happened in the near term, significant problem, that logistically we couldn't get rid of much more than what we already are. And so now you start to back stuff up in the countryside again. And, and when that happens, what does the processor do when, when things start getting backed up? 
they lower their bid, right? So now your basis starts to get wider, the price starts to fall, or a combination of both, because they can't get rid of it either, or they can't get rid of it timely. And if you're looking to move it and they can't they can't get rid of it, you just say, I'll take it at some discounted price from you because eventually we'll get it moved. But today we can't. And kind of related to, you know, corn exports, just thinking out loud, if we lose our export market on the pork side and other, other countries got to step in and produce more pork, feed more pigs, probably you would think. Yeah, what you would think would be supportive for support, more exports. You know, pork. maybe we would have more exports on the corn side to feed a herd elsewhere. Yeah. That's a good point. Good you, know, point. I know. you know, who's got the ability to ramp up and replace us from the pork side? The EU, Brazil. I don't know that there's anybody else that can. That's what I was going to ask. Canada, yeah. you know, but is Canada going to get lumped in with us in this whole ASF Lose their thing? export. Mexico has got a growing pork industry down there. They could maybe fill the void for some, but, you know, it, it would probably be the EU and Brazil. And any estimates on how much how much corn do we send those places right now. That's a good any question. I, I don't know. I, know I don't think do. we send any to South America. They, they are, they've got, they're yeah, producing they've, enough that they're exporting. Yeah. And the the European Union, I'm not sure if they're exporters of grain or not. Or importers. I, I guess I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know either. I was going to take a guess, but it's 50-50 guess. Yep. One or the other. So, yeah, we'd have to look into that. But it's just kind of curious, I guess, on, on the corn side there. But then staying on the, you know, the grain and feed side, initial thoughts on soybeans and then with that, I think bean meal. Yeah, again, same lines. Feed is comprised of let's call it roughly sixty percent corn for pigs and fifteen percent soybean meal, plus or minus a little bit, depending on what we're doing with dried distiller grains. So, soybean meal. If our industry has to contract, major pressure on that that commodity as well. Now we export a lot of soybean meal around the world, and same kind of thing. It'll hit a price level where it becomes attractive. But initially, as we're trying to adjust, I just don't see how soybeans and soybean meal can hold their price together in the face of a lot less domestic consumption of their product. So we, again, we back up supply very, very quickly when we're not making a bunch of feed. I'm thinking, you know, kind of working in reverse order here about, you know, going back up to the cattle and hog markets. At least, I guess the the silver lining is if we do have cheaper prices, Maybe we've got cheaper than five dollar and eighty cent corn that we're looking at today, and and maybe some margin is able to to come back into it. it's the slow slow bleed over time of of corn you know needing to come down in order to make that work. I'm just kind of thinking out loud with that. I think eventually you give it enough time, it it, it, it has to it has it to work itself. If, if corn stays at five eighty yeah. and you got hog producers with prices in the thirties, they're not going to be feeding pigs very long. No, nope. they financially will not be able to. You can't make any money, and so they'll quit. They'll be forced to quit. Or we see corn come down enough to where you can actually generate some kind of margin and we get, you know, we bring the equilibrium back and we got a self-sustaining system again. Yep. But without exports, it's smaller either way. Pork side of it's smaller yep. and the grain side of it is less feed being used, which is not friendly for prices there. So that grain farmer hearing about African swine fever out there just driving along thinking, yo, you know, no big deal. Significant potential impact to your business. Do you think, um, you know, obviously bean meal, corn affected, would you, would there be any conversation about, and, and it depends on what that price drop would be, um, you know, acres would, you know, do you think it would something, a reaction would lead to more acres of one, less of another, or do you think it's just kind of business as usual? It's just going to be lower prices on both sides after time. 
I think it's the second one that you said. I think it's just lower prices on both of them. And if one happens to drop quicker than the other, maybe the, an immediate the farmer is going to, you know, he's going to start throwing more acres of soybeans in, which eventually is going to put pressure on that market too. So I think they're both, we're looking at definitely getting damaged on price. It would have to be something initial, like it'd yeah. just be if it's that right timing and it's initially and this year, it looks better. And right. One year it, it'd probably fix itself. Cause I, I guess I don't know what the amount of soybeans that are fed is, but I know corn is, I think it's like roughly like maybe 40%. So it's pretty substantial. You start cutting in, in, in our feed is 60%, give or take a little bit made up of corn. Yep. So you would think a little more impact there. That's my super scientific answer to the there question. We go. So I guess that kind of, is there anything, I guess, commodity wise that you wanted to say thing more, I guess, on reactions that you would expect or think about? Um, obviously, this is, we don't, we don't know. It's uh there's some studies and you can make assumptions, but a lot of it's going to be reactionary. As we see something happen, you kind of make adjustments and go from there. Yeah, I think we covered everything pretty well here. I, I, I think our, our goal with today's podcast was to kind of maybe shine some light on the significance of African swine fever on the pork industry and how that can affect other industries, ag industries especially. And, you know, we're in the business of risk management. How do we, how do we manage risk? How do we mitigate risk? And there are things that we can do as a hog producer to protect some prices for a certain period of time. But after that, there's nothing we can do two years from now. We don't have any pricing tools two years from now. So depending on how long the impact is, how sheltered can you make yourself from it? Now, we've we've been in the camp of trying to inform the allied industry folks, the other commodities, and say, hey, this, this African swine fever risk is not, it's not specific to just the hog producer. And you might want to consider looking at some kind of protection plan for yourself in case it happens. How much money should you invest on a per bushel or on a per head if you're a cattle farmer into making sure that if something happens here, that at least you've done something on the other side to protect yourself. And those are conversations that I, I challenge our listeners now to think about your operation. And is there something you can do? We think there is. Uh, we're not going to cover what those strategies are today, but we think there's things that, you know, risk mitigation strategies that can be implemented that will give you some protection. And we can't protect you forever, but if we can protect you longer than maybe your neighbor, you'll be around to continue to do what you got to do. Cause if African spine fever happens, we are looking at a major change in our industry. There'll be less producers, in my opinion, because they'll financially be forced out or come to the point where it's just not enjoyable to do it anymore. If there's no margin, how long do you want to continue to do it? And like anything, it'll eventually correct itself and it'll be fine. Initially, it's going to be tough, really tough. One other question that, that I've gotten a couple of and times. I'm, I'm talking like it's certainty, which it clearly is not. You know, we've, we've, we've kept foreign animal disease out of this country for a long time on the pork side. But the reality is, from our last episode, it's really close. And when it's really close, you kind of got to heighten your alert, heighten your awareness, maybe take precautions that you wouldn't normally do when it was half a world away, when it's just 80 miles or whatever, 800 miles. I forget what it is to the Dominican Republic from here, but it's not very far. One other question that, that I've got, and I kind of know you know what our thoughts are generally, but I want to pose it to you. How do you feel about the government coming in, and if they see a big price drop, do you think they will intervene and try to support farmers and try to keep people around, 
or do you think they, you know, I think to a degree, but is it enough to maybe sustain um, someone or I guess, how do you, how do you see government? Cause I've, I guess I would think there are people out there that think, you know, maybe I don't, we don't need to do anything like the government will step in and, and save us and maybe provide a little bit to keep us, keep us in, in line and, and operating. I think they will, but like any type of government invention, it's not a perfect system. It'll be too late for some. It'll help others. Uh, it'll probably be wildly inefficient, but I think they should. You know, part of what makes this country great is we don't spend all day thinking about where our next meal is going to come from. And if food inflation or, you know, which in this case, we're kind of looking at the opposite, right? Cheap prices is what we yep. think happens, but a secure food supply, safe and affordable. That's that's what keeps this country going. And, and any kind of disruption to that with major, major magnitude, you would hope they would come in and, and, and try to, not that I'm for government intervention at all, but, you know, I just think they would come in and do something. I don't know if it's any good or not. Okay, I, mean, so I mean, the losses that happened with COVID and what the government intervention was, depending on your size, varied from didn't matter a bit to really, really significant and probably uh, saved your operation. So I think, you know, I, I agree. But now think about this. You know, we talked about prices getting cheap and that's, you know, gonna we, we're going to have to right size because we lose our export market. We lose that demand. If we come in and, and kind of support the industry and keep keep more people around and keep more supply on there, are you maybe just extending the period of, of lower problem. prices? You know what I mean? You're just, are you kind of kicking it down the road? I think that's, that. I mean, kind of coming from a free market school of thought and as it'll, it'll kind of correct itself. But I think that is the implication that we keep more supply around and we don't help our price come back any quicker on the hog side. Yeah, right or, or wrong, yeah. I think the government will do something. What they do, I don't know, but does it perpetuate? If you keep a producer in, but they maybe shift the amount of pork that they're raising and they're able to stay in business, I think that's okay. If if we subsidize to the point where we're still pumping out 30% more pork than what we need, we're not doing any good. We're not yeah. we're not helping the problem. And, and so I it, don't see the government doing anything with any other industry, with any other commodity, depending on how, how big those prices are affected. They're, African swine fever, it only affects pork people. I don't know. And, uh, I don't know. And it depends the, what that the price way government reacts. Be. I would say I wouldn't be surprised if they went shotgun across yeah. the board and just go, all right, corn prices went down great here. Soybean prices went down here. I just don't think they intervene in a very effective way. Yep. But nonetheless, I, I'm in the camp that I think that they will. Yep. So I guess that kind of wraps up that. I was just going to ask you one, you know, final question and, and final thought on the economy as a whole. You know, in the study they talked about in the state of Iowa, you know, you could expect to lose over 5,000 jobs um, related to agriculture in the peak year of ASF, um, just in the two-year scenario. And I know, you know, it's hard to conceptualize, you know, like to visualize that. I mean, we, we talked about it's like, oh, yeah, you can see how it affects industries, but you know, more than 5,000 jobs just really in, in one year, just related to agriculture because of it is crazy. I just wanted to ask, do you believe there's a strategy, all businesses outside of, you know, just commodity based businesses and pork producers or cattle producers or corn farmers? Is there a strategy that all businesses can use to put in place to protect themselves against a black swan event like this happening? I think there are strategies that can be used to protect any ag business's revenue. If, if something were to happen, African swine fever. That strategy is different from business to business, but we believe there are tools out there today that we can use that 
at least if we see the initial negative price effects that we're talking about and it forces the industry to change and that domino effect happens to hit your business, there are definitely some strategies that we can put in place that will help you on the revenue side. We can't do anything about helping a a new construction business put up finishers. Can we help replace some of their revenue that might be lost because none of that is going on? Absolutely. And uh, that's, those are uh, proposals and strategies we've been making to, to several allied industry folks. And like I said earlier, we're not going to get into the specifics today, but if you're listening and you want to know more about it, you can, you can contact us, right? You can hit our website up, shoot us an email, and we'd be happy to talk more about it. And I, and I think it's prudent that operations consider that businesses, allied businesses, whether you're a row crop producer or your, you know, your, your feed or your construction, whatever it is, I think it's probably worth looking into. All right. How much can I allocate to some sort of mitigation strategy, at least short term? Yep. And I think you wanted to emphasize, so I'm just going to emphasize it again here before we wrap up. Don't want to come off as, you know, like this is going to happen, fear mongering type situation. You know, we've done a really good job in this country. We've got, you know, the task force that we talked to last week. We've got, you know, the USDA, everybody's doing their job to keep this disease from coming to our country. And we've done a really good job for a really long time. Um, knock on wood, keeping foreign diseases out of our country. So it's not something that's bound to happen. It's just, I think it, everything's on heightened alert because it is in the Dominican, which is one Definitely. of the Americas and just, you know, just South of Florida. There. Right. And we've, you know, maybe in some of my comments, I was talking about it, like it's certainty, like when it happens and all that, but there is no certainty that it's going to happen. But again, being proactive, maybe taking taking a different look at this. That was our goal today is just open your eyes and kind of in, enlighten everybody about the reach of, of this problem that it can have. And none, if we don't have it, fantastic. That's what we don't want to get it. But if we do, hopefully we can help some folks be prepared and have some thought process ahead of time on how they can maybe prevent it and understand the implications of it. Sounds great. Thanks everyone for listening today. All right. Thanks Trevor. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and were able to take something beneficial back to the farmer office. Be sure to check us out on our website, future-profits.com. There you can learn a little bit more about us, check out our consulting services, and view our product offerings. If you have any topic ideas or things you have questions about, feel free to drop us an email at contact at future-profits.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at future underscore profits to stay up to date on the podcast. Until next time. There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results.